Okay, as in go. This is Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the restaurant world. feeding you, please follow us on your podcast service of choice. And do give us a five-star review. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey guys, today I'm joined by my new friend, Sterling Douglas. He's the co-founder and CEO of Chowley, which we're going to dive into a lot. So many things happening over there. And uh, just so you know, we, we've been chatting for about 10 minutes on all things. So I think it's going to be a great episode. Uh, Sterling, say hello and give a little bit of backstory. <laughs> hey, Joseph, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to kind of dive into a, a bunch of these topics that we were getting into. Uh, yeah, co-founder, CEO of Chally, we're a digital platform that enables restaurants to expand their off-prem capabilities. Uh, before Chally, I used to be an actuary deep into data analytics and just found that data really wasn't moving cleanly between restaurants. And, you know, that really prompted uh, kind of the founding for Chally so that we could take data from you know, the Uber Eats, Grubhubs of the world, help restaurants kind of adopt this new technology uh, without, you know, the operational headaches that a lot of them bring. Yeah, that's amazing. So let's actually just dig right into that founding a little bit. Um, Suffice to say, online ordering and the tech that you uh, got into, there's a lot of players out there. So what really prompted, because it seems like a big risk, right? It's like, I'm going to launch another online ordering platform. You're going into a sea of a lot of varying degrees of competition from the old guard to the new. Um, what made you feel like, hey, I think we're going to do this better. We're going to do this different. Yeah. I mean, look, over the years, um, I've looked at hundreds of online ordering and white label tools from, like you said, you know, groups that started in, you know, 2003, 2005, uh, to, you know, some of the recent upstarts that have raised a lot of uh, venture capital to get their business going. Uh, it's something that we've been deep with. We, we partner with a ton of them. We've resold them. Uh, we've referred them. We've helped restaurants get set up and we've gotten all this feedback. Um, and we always got asked that question. Restaurants, mm-hmm ask all the time, like, hey, when's Chally going to do an online ordering tool? And, and I always mostly just said, I don't, I don't really want to. Uh, there's there's already so many out there. Uh, but what we ended up finding is that there was always, most of these online ordering tools fell into two buckets. Uh, one, they had great uh, front end and consumer experience, uh, which, which was really helpful. But then they lacked on the back end and the operational side of the restaurant. It was hard to manage, didn't really work with their point of sale system or fit or flow. Or you found the exact opposite scenario, really great back-end operational side, uh, but the consumer experience was pretty lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we were kind of evaluating this, the, the opportunity to bring Koala under the same umbrella came out. And the most interesting part to me is that that's all they do is the front end and the consumer experience. And they're so good at it, even the biggest dog out there in the online ordering space, Olo, refers them in and is a top partner. So mm-hmm. we found literally the best in class on the front end. 
And on the Chali side, we most of our product is the operational flow. We're helping you know things like Grubhub and Uber Eats fit into the restaurants flow, integrate into the point of sale, get all the data and everything. So we knew we were really good at that. And one of the reasons that we didn't want to build that is because we knew it's really hard to be good at both. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. have the right people on staff. It would have taken a long time. And even if we did build it, it would have been expensive and it still might not have been enough. And so this opportunity to bring Koala in is like, hey, we can actually get both of these things. We can have literally the best in class consumer experience and the best in class operational experience to the restaurant. And if we can truly meld those together, that's going to be the best experience for the restaurant industry. And especially in the independent operator space where they just, you know, they don't have a good option to kind of get multiple things under one roof. Yeah. And so for, for those who have been um, either stuck in the kitchen and not able to uh, bring their head up for the last few weeks, Chowley just completed acquisition of Koala. If you're unfamiliar with Koala, we did do an episode with Brett uh, from Koala a few back and we'll make sure we have a link to that in our show notes. Um, Koala basically started for lack of, I'm going to make this sound really dumb, but basically <laughs> they uh, skinned the Olo.com services. So you had a bit more brand control. You had a bit more um, control over upsells and how that looks instead of just the out of the box solution that Olo provides. Uh, and I think thereby reducing the um, average of five clicks to get through a completion of an order. So you guys scoop them up. At its core, Chowley started as more, um, would you say, an integration mechanism between POS and online ordering? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Point of sale integration company is how we described ourselves for a while, Uh, almost an API as a service, uh, right? Mm. We were basically leveraging and creating APIs to help data flow between these systems. So bringing in, you know, Koala that specializes on the user experience, not only is it, are they maniacal about conversion rates, which I think is, is lacking in the restaurant space, but they've got, you know, machine learning that helps uh, make recommendations to increase basket sizes. And the customization of it is so amazing. Go look at, you know, Mod Pizza and go mm-hmm. look at P.F. Chang's. It's, they're both Koala, but they're completely different experiences. They're unique to the brand. And it was one of the things that I... I thought it was so special about what they were building. I love that. So yeah, Chali essentially uh, is the Zapier of the uh, <laughs> of the uh, restaurant technology world. You know what's interesting is when you go when you go to the website, the Chali website. Um, I think a lot of us who aren't super integrated into the online ordering in, in the POS world, you know, you say online ordering, most people are going to say Grubhub, Postmates, DoorDash, Uber <laughs> Eats, and maybe another one. And and what's funny to me is like I almost have to take a step back and question how much I know about this industry when I see your ticker of logos and I'm like. Oh, brother, I haven't heard of like half of these. Um, oh my gosh. And so it, it's interesting to see um, to see those those competitors out there. Now when when looking at Koala as a mechanism to get into a stronger online ordering offering, how do you imagine that's going to play out um, as being basically viewed as a competitor to some of the folks that may have been a uh, partner in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so two things on this one, uh, uh, petition uh, is just wild in the restaurant space. Mm-hmm. The amount of overlap of features from point of sales to online ordering companies, to loyalty systems, uh, to marketing ones, everyone's got overlap of feature sets. Uh, that's, that's something that's really just become standard in the industry. So that's not new. All right. Some of our partners have uh, third-party marketplace integrations, and they just use us for the point-of-sale side. Some of them are point-of-sale systems that have a couple direct integrations, but use us for everything else. 
And so that's commonplace in this industry. That's not new. Um, so for us, it's it's really something that isn't going to shock a lot of people. But I think the important part uh, that we need to always maintain and that we will is to create an even playing field. The Koala module and how it sits today is going to work and use the exact same API that we make available to everybody. So it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, billion-dollar publicly traded Grubhub, you're using the same API uh, that a new startup is using on the online ordering side that built to our system, and that's the same as what Koala is going to be using. So making sure that we have an even playing field for everybody is is important. And to be honest, the the competition is not new. Uh, It's something Mm. that's been around for a while. Yeah, I love that. It's it's, it's part of, I think, a bigger issue too, or not issue, but I think uh, a new wave of challenges that are coming because the restaurant industry was so far behind in technology uh, comparatively to other industries that are way ahead, right? Um, I think we're going to start to see a lot more of this convergence of tech. Um how do you see that playing out now? Obviously, for you know, you know the 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 Chowley roadmap, uh, even the stuff that we're not allowed to know yet. Um, but <laughs> as you look around the the landscape, um, mm-hmm. is this something that you're cheering on, like this uh, consolidation, converging, um, and and where do you think the next step is going to be with this? Um, once we've aced uh, the combination of POS on online ordering, what's the next um, world that we're going to enter into? Yeah, so when, when we think about the, the convergence or the, the consolidation in the tech space, you've got, you had globs of venture capital poured into tech, co- tech companies into the restaurant space. And they all focused on a specific problem to solve because restaurants are deceptively difficult business models. And people very often underestimate how complicated it is and how big a business you can build solving one really meaningful pain point that restaurants have. So you created a ton of these companies in all different spots. And as you've seen customer or as you've seen restaurants, you know, go through last year where you just saw this crazy increase in labor costs and food costs, all of a sudden it made a lot more sense for them to maybe I can reduce vendors, save a few dollars here. I might not get best of breed, but I'll still get enough for me to kind of make the advances and technology to meet my my consumers where they are. And so you started to see a lot more of that consolidation. And so I, I, I feel that the restaurant industry is going through a bundling cycle right now. Mm-hmm. And it's not uncommon for industries to go through bundling and unbundling cycles. We went through a big unbundling cycle where best of breed was really taking place because of the acceleration that COVID you know, provided for restaurants. And now you're starting to see a bit of a bundling cycle. Uh, and so, yeah, you're going to see some of it. But at the same time, there's so much innovation coming in the restaurant industry. So you're seeing consolidation on certain features, but you're still seeing tons of innovation in new ones. Uh, you're seeing you know, what's next. I mean, dynamic pricing is going to really take off this year. Um, that's a new and kind of separate, uh, you know, piece of technology yep. that's going to go, um, and it's going to grow a ton. Uh, companies like Sauce Pricing and, and Juicer, um, you know, I'm they're the talk of the show, and so you're going to be seeing a lot of that. You're seeing a lot on the data side, uh, so you're seeing a lot of data consolidation, not just from the point of sale, but how do I get my what you know, my food costs, my labor costs, my sales, and my customer, and my payments all in one place, so I can look at these things together. Um, and so I think you're going to see just as much innovation in new companies and new product lines 
as you're going to see on the consolidation side. But I think the consolidation has to make sense. Um, it has to pair well together. Consolidation for consolidation's sake, I don't think is helpful to anybody. Yeah, I think it's a natural progression that you kind of talk about. I mean, what we saw is we had the these OG old guard uh, POS systems that sort of just tacked online ordering on as a oh oh yeah, and we and we do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what's great about um, the innovation world or whatever you want to call it is people see that and they say, hey, this actually is not good, and that's like the that is the seed of innovation. We can do it better. And if we can find a way to tap into that system, well, now we have a nice path forward. So you're right. It is this like natural ebb and flow where innovation really is the driver as people zero in on the pain points of those like micro, not even maybe micro, but like little bits of the of the picture that are already there from the POS system. So they're focused on their machines, they're focused on their hardware, maybe their software, online yeah. ordering is tacked on. And actually, it's funny because I see that happen a lot with email marketing. I feel mm-hmm. like it's like, hey, we have online ordering and email marketing is a thing too. Anyway, the online ordering, <laughs> and you're like, right, but that is such a huge thing that could be so much better with yeah. segmentation and automation and all these things. But you just sort of crammed it on there. Uh, I'm looking at you toast. I'm sorry, but your your email marketing system is terrible and you could tell it's an afterthought. Um, so if you just open up a little bit guys, then, then other email marketing, anyway, all right, uh, off topic. But the other thing that you mentioned too, but it's a good point because it's box checking tech, right? Like I need to check a box on this RFP or I need to say that I have it. I mean, the amount of, the amount of restaurants who say, well, I have to have loyalty right? Because in, in the head, they're like, well, I need it. And then I dig in and I'm like, well, what does loyalty mean? Like, what what are the features that do it? I get answers from being able to reorder something to email to things that are more <laughs> of a CRM. And there's this huge sloth of things. And a lot of, uh, a lot of companies, especially tech companies, get a deal done. They do box checking. And that right. was exactly what I wanted to avoid uh, when we looked at Koala. I wanted this to really make sense, really be complimentary. I wanted the missions to align. You know, I wanted core values to align. Like it had to make sense for it really to truly work in my head. Yeah, it's interesting, um, you know, bringing up the loyalty side of things. Uh they're salespeople are always to blame. I'm sorry, guys. I love it, but <laughs> it's always them, you know, because it's like you're so good at your job. But the first question hasn't been asked, which is like, do I need another app on my phone? And, and if it's just to check the box that I came here, isn't there a better way? Now, you know, friends at Big Chicken, I'm sure you've run into them before, Sam Stanovich and, and uh, uh, Jason. Jason. Um, Great guys. They, I mean, they took that and ran. I, I got to hear them talk um, last year a little bit about it. And they just, they can, they've connected it to the thing that matters most, which is your payment mechanism. And it's like, yes, we want to benefit you if you come here often. We don't need you to download an app. I, I, I'm at the point now like where the only time an app really matters is if it's completely built with the customer in mind, like Starbucks, like Papa John's, like some of these well-designed apps that are out there. These out-of-the-box solutions are just that it's, it's, it's a loyalty. I mean, not a loyalty. It's a, it's a repeat traffic tracker and a fast track to getting into a mobile order. Um, have you seen, have you, I mean, do you agree? And do you see a world where those experiences are going to become better and more worth it? Because I've heard leaders basically say like, we did the app and we paid for it and, um, it just doesn't work for us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is a uh, it's a hot topic because there are situations where it 
it really depends on the intrinsic value that you're providing. So uh, when I when I talk to, to restaurants and they say I want an app, you really dig in and, and understand why. And I have found that typically when they want the app to want the app, well, they go with a vendor who checks the box and they get in what they they get out what they put in. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen situations where. Uh, they've wanted to get the mobile app because it's an it's they're meeting where their consumers want. The, they have customers who actually want to interact this way. When you're on mobile, uh, you have you can actually create easier flows. You can make it easier to order. Uh, you can build a, a really good hospitable experience in it. And then all of a sudden, you've seen it like literally make them more money because mm-hmm. all of a sudden they know that 10% of their traffic's going through app because that's what their consumers are using. The app has a 2.9 rating on the app store, has a crappy conversion rate. Then they get one and they say, hey, we already know we have customers here. We want to give them a better experience. And you build it with that intention. All of a sudden you have a 4.9 rating on the app store. You're converting 70% uh, of the users that start in order. And now all of a sudden you went from 10% of your sales to 20% of the sales and it's almost all incremental. That's when it makes a difference. That's when you're providing that intrinsic value. So we, we have this discussion a ton internally on like, what are we doing with the mobile app? Uh, and on my side, I'm like, we need to provide intrinsic value. Like we're not going to make the box checking product. That's not what I, what I want us to do. Um, and so when we provide that intrinsic value, I think it is there. So I think that having an app has tons of advantages to both restaurants, big and small, uh, but it has to be done with this intent and it has to be done deliberately. And if you do it that way, that's how I think you can provide a great experience and at the end of the day, make the restaurant more money and make their customers happier. Yeah, I love that. And, and online ordering, I think, is probably the better approach to really thinking about loyalty. Loyalties beginnings start with repeat traffic repeat purchases and having a fantastic um, experience time in time out, whether it's digital, physical in person, or even um, non-transactional. And so if you have control over that online ordering part and you have the look there, then it makes a lot of sense that you could easily start to push that into what does loyalty really look like? um, And how do we reward it? How do we recognize it? Um, And and it sounds like that's what Koala's, uh, the acquisition of Koala is giving you almost a basis to start to approach um, maybe I'm digging into something you shouldn't talk about, but it seems like that's the path forward, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we have so much work to do on you yeah. know getting getting the the first party experience, the mobile app experience, our third party experience, making all the data. We have enough on our plate right now. I'm not not trying to add big things like that uh, <laughs> right now. We have we have some great partners uh, today on that side that are are experts in this, and that's that's what we want to let them do. I love that. If it's being considered, blink twice. I'm just kidding. All right. So, <laughs> um, no, that's great. So you did bring up a topic that, so I, I do think we're going to have um, Carl from Juicer on the show here soon. Excellent. Um, I'm excited about it. I am a complete bulwark against dynamic pricing. Uh, yeah. I yeah I, like, I don't buy into it. I get it from the operator side. It is so sexy to be able to make the money you want to make. I think it's going to be a loyalty killer. Uh, or at least in the way it's being thought about now. So tell me, your I would love to hear your hot takes on dynamic pricing. And how do you think we can launch dynamic pricing without harming our, our loyalists, the people who they know that with tax, my pizza is going to be eleven seventy two, 
And now all of a sudden, because it's Friday at 6 p.m., my pizza is 1892. Um, how do we tackle that? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a, I can take this in a lot of different directions. Uh, let me start out by dynamic pricing is not applied to every purchase, uh, the same. Mm -hmm. The, um, there's, there's a handful of ways that dynamic pricing can be kind of dispatched, um, to make sure that you're not harming, um, that, that experience to your loyal loyalist. Uh, and I can think of a, a ton that are literally live today and ones that will probably be live as the end of year as the technology gets better and better. Um, but I think to start, uh, most of the uses I'm seeing on dynamic pricing are with third-party marketplaces. Mm -hmm. And on these third-party marketplaces, customers are paying for convenience. It's not a very, it's not the most profitable channel uh, for the restaurants and the operators. And so what dynamic pricing is really saying like, hey, if you want the added convenience, it's pushing that cost to the consumer. When they're really busy and they have the opportunity and they say, you know, I have 100 orders to fill in this hour. I can only fill 80. How do I, how do I handle that? How do I maximize and optimize my, my operations? Well, basically making that 81st order slightly more expensive and then the 82nd order a little bit more and the 83rd order a little bit more now all of a sudden the customers are paying for the convenience and ones that they really want it and the restaurant is being able to benefit from like the convenience and like this is going to stress my system it's going to be harder and harder for me to uh, execute this order or these orders so by the time i get to the 101st order the risk in me executing it well to provide a good experience is already there so if I can help taper that down so I don't get that high and I can optimize those orders so they're profitable, it's helping really share the risk. It's helping diversify that. And it's why it's actually better for the customer because the customer, look, this restaurant's just too busy to take this order right now. If you mm. really, really want it, like you can have it, but you can also self-select out so that you don't have a bad experience because it's hard to execute orders the busier that it gets. So I think that's one case where it's really smart. You can always buy it to your third parties, but not your first party. So your loyal customers are going to be owing from your first party. I've seen groups starting to do subscription services. You can mm -hmm. easily set it so anyone who's part of like your subscription service always gets like standard pricing. Uh, there, there's a number of ways that you can handle this. And look, restaurants are really good at being hospitable and they're getting better at doing it in the new digital world. And I think that yeah, when it first starts out, it's going to be shaky. You're going to have some grumpy customers, but we're going to figure this out. And as long as technology companies continue to be merchant first, think about their operators and think about the experience. I think that this is going to work and it's going to be normal. It's going to be standard, you know, you know, 12 to 24 months from now. Yeah. I mean, how, how, do, how do you think that we prevent from getting into more of a, uh, the same situation that happened with travel, right? With OTAs, online travel advisors. Cause that's, that's the other th side is like, everyone's like, well, look, it worked for the travel industry. I'm like, did it? Because like now the margins are even more razor thin. The competition is even fiercer. Um, that doesn't seem like a really good output for the industry. Um, like I get everything you're saying. I don't disagree with what you said either. I think it makes sense. It's almost like expenditure driven throttling as opposed to literal throttling. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. But, you know, this, this all of a sudden, like I love my hamburger from, you know, Sterling's Burger Shack, but man, that thing's doubled now. So I guess I'll try this other one that I wasn't going to try. 
now I, I, I become a little more, uh, a little less loyal, right? Um, yeah, but you're also trying out another restaurant and the other restaurant has a better burger. Uh, ultimately that's better for you as the consumer. Sure. Right. So yeah. like if, you know, at the end of the day, there's a balance. I, you know, when Charlie first started, the third party marketplace ecosystem was really different. I mean, Uber Eats wasn't a marketplace. It was literally a guy driving around in his car with hot subs uh, around a busy block uh, for a couple mm-hmm. hours during lunch. Um, you know, it, E24 was actually one of the biggest ones at the time. So it was, oh, it was wow. very different, yeah. Uh, yeah, very different um, industry when we joined. And I remember going through investor conversations and everyone told me the same thing. It's like, oh, it's just like the travel industry. It's just like the travel. Everything's going to end up just like the Expedias of the world. And my, uh, my counter to that was that absolutely not. This industry is completely different. Um, the amount of diversity you have in the supply side is great. Half of the restaurant industry is small operators, independents. Half. Mm-hmm. Only half are big chains. So you're, you're going to run into issues. There's only a, a dozen airlines and there's three that do like 80% of travel. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the same big player mentality. You also have a crazy amount of reinvigoration into the supply. 3% of all restaurants go out of business every single month and 3.1% open up new every single month. You have a constant rotation of supply. And so your players are always changing. This is not at all how the travel industry works. Uh, not to mention the business models are completely different. You can't commoditize a really great burger. Like it's mm-hmm. just not how it works. The airlines are very much commoditized. The experiences are very similar. Uh, in a restaurant, they're completely different. And all it takes is a new general manager, a new ownership. And even at the same brand, the experience will change a ton. That type of uh, like diverse variability that's just constant and in your face makes it a completely different industry. So I, I've never thought that it was going to turn like the travel agencies. I get on the surface there's similarities, but the fundamental business model that restaurants are is very, uh, very unique and very complex, um, very different from most other businesses. Yeah, that's a, that's a great response to it. Um, you know, taking into account like travel in general. Um, and again, mother of all inventions. So if it does create the, uh, the, you know, the pain for people, there will be someone that comes along to try to solve that pain. It's the beauty of, uh, free market enterprises and, you know, the ability to innovate. <laughs> if, if, if point of sale systems and third-party marketplaces built their products with open APIs in mind and were really like embraceive of moving data, Charlie would have never existed. Uh, yeah. We existed to solve that pain point and that pain point didn't exist before 2012. Um, right. It, it didn't barely existed when we started. Uh, right. Really. The problem really exacerbated in 2019 and 2020. So it's uh, it's the same thing. Yeah, absolutely love it. So wh- one of the things, obviously, that, that sparked, I think, a rapid embracing of technology, we were kind of embracing it as an industry, but um, you know, being forced into our houses and having to find a different way to get our food really just kicked it into the highest gear possible. Um, do you think that the behaviors have permanently changed like from consumers like obviously some things have come back but not to the way that we saw it um do you think there's a world where dining in person becomes more adopted than it has been in the last year or so or or do you think we're we're in the hey the way i get my food is from the palm of my hand (laughs) yeah i think uh 
COVID accelerated things a ton. It, it took consumer adoption and drastically increased it. But you know what also has happened over the past three to four years that had nothing to do with COVID is that a larger percentage of the Gen Z generation has disposable income and is entering the workforce. This is a generation that grew up with tablets, grew up with screens. They've been ordering on DoorDash since before high school. So mm. you're going to see the natural progression that we have. But then you also saw each of these generations take a big jump during the pandemic because they had to. So baby boomers went from being two out of 10 wanting to order app from four out of 10. That's double. And you saw, you know, Gen Z has always been, I think, like eight out of 10. Uh, but now Gen Z, rep, you know, is double represents instead of, you know, three percent of the workforce at six percent and making up those numbers someone will fact check me and correct me on it but <laughs> you're seeing kind of both of those factors come into play and you know restaurants again they need to meet co- uh, consumers where they are and so that'll be part of it so yeah I, I think it's definitely changed but i also don't think on-premise is going away uh no matter how much i love the convenience of getting my food you know delivered to me or i go pick it up i also love sitting down love breaking bread with people uh, interacting with people, ordering food, getting recommendations, like that experience, I don't think goes away at all. Um, it's just kind of the, the percentage share, um, that, that people kind of want to enjoy their food. Yeah. I love that. It's, I think it it makes the interior design and the architectural and, and the customer experience, I think even more important, um, so many branches to open up and it's like throw, throw tables in there, get some paint on the walls or vinyl. If you're the person I'm thinking of, um, and, uh, you know, just give them, give them a roof and give them a seat and then get them out. Um, you know, so we can turn the table, but I, I do think now is the time as, as I don't want to use the word threat, but I will, but as digital threatens the viability of our dining rooms, the question becomes like, what makes my dining room worth sitting in, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think tech, desperately has a role to play there to make the ordering experience even better. I've said it before. I've, I've made some people mad about it, but I'm like, I'm not quite sure that my waiter is always the better choice. Um, the way we yeah. use them. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, look at there's, there's restaurants who like, look at jets pizza, for example, mm-hmm. yeah, average jets pizza has to have like three or two tables in it. It is, it is meant for like, it is meant for pickup. It is meant for delivery. That is how they've designed their business model. That's what their consumers have wanted. They've leaned into it. They added things like text ordering super early. And like, that's when they're focused and they've done really well. Uh, then I can point to a number of other different chains that never did delivery uh, or, or pickup, even during the pandemic when they didn't do it. And that was uh, another route to go. And they're very successful. And I enjoy going to those places. I mean, during the pandemic, you saw, I saw in Chicago, especially, there's one, two, and even three Michelin star restaurants that were doing mm. open to go. And mm-hmm. they actually did really well. Now, when the pandemic ended, they ended those services. But what they did do is they got involved in separate companies that focused on that. And now you have literally, you have, uh, there are restaurant groups. So the guy, like the guys from Alinea, for example, uh, you know, you have basically similar quality that they had on their takeout for finish at home. And now it's available for delivery and you can order it through an app. Right. And so sometimes you want that super high quality food. You're going to finish it at home. Like that's its own experience in itself. Uh, right. a company called, called Entree doing this out of Chicago. Uh, and, and so the, the experiences are shifting, but the fundamentals are all there. Um, and again, it's just meeting your customers where they are. 
I love that. So obviously, so far, it's already a pretty darn big year for Chowley. Um, what's next, man? Like, what are you what are you able to kind of tease out there? What does the future hold for the company? Yeah, no, we've uh, we've got a big year in store. Uh, this is just the beginning. Uh, in January, we we launched uh, our new restaurant control center uh, with some really cool, unique features uh, um, that a lot of restaurants haven't seen, and kind of putting them back in the driver's seat. Um, giving them more control. Um, we've got a few features in there now. We're going to pump a lot more into that throughout the year. Uh, you've got the the bringing Koala in-house, so we're going to be able to have a combined offering for the SMB space, um, you know, right around uh, mid-year time frame. And uh, there's there's more to come. Uh, we're, we're, we're not done yet. We've got a lot we want to accomplish. Uh, we think we're really well positioned to do it. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it's it's all for the sake of helping restaurants and I've never had a clearer picture of what we can do to help them. So yeah, more to come. I know it's only March 3rd, but I'm excited, you know, for what's next. Yeah. It's a big year. Um, final question. Then I'll let you get back to your day. Uh, might be the hardest one of all. If you had one <laughs> final meal, what would you eat? Where would you eat it? And why? Oh man. Um, I, I, I know it's probably, a corny answer, uh, but it would probably <laughs> be uh, my mom's homemade mac and cheese that she's been making Ooh. for me since I was a kid. Uh, it's uh, I've never had anything quite like it. It's uh, it's unique, reminds me of home, and I love it growing up and still love it every time I go visit her. So uh, that would probably be it. Uh, did not corny at all. Uh, I've said it before. My, my final meal is Thanksgiving dinner. Nice. Um, oh yeah. You know, I just, I, I love it. When I, whenever I'm blue or feeling stressed out, I find a way to make Thanksgiving dinner. And whenever, just, whenever I'm blue and stressed out, it's usually poutine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the least healthy, but absolutely delicious thing. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's probably the more common occurrence. I can't, I can't get my believe mom to ship me mac and cheese, you know, too much. Come on, mom, step up. <laughs> no, no, she's, uh, she's amazing. She's amazing. I bet, man. That's awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks for being so candid. Thanks for uh, everything you're doing for the industry. I'm really excited about what's happening next with Chally. Um, I, I will have all the links to Chally and the uh, and your social channels and all that stuff as well. But is there a way for people to connect with you directly, Sterling? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm not hard to find. <laughs> uh, very active on on LinkedIn. Go through all of that. It's usually the best place to reach out, get people connected. I go to a lot of conferences and shows. Love visiting, you know, different cities, restaurants, and things like that. Um, so always happy to to chat. But I mean, our website's the best place for uh, for Chally information to get in contact with us. Um, if you fill out that form, we reach out. You know, literally in minutes. So uh, we're not we're not hard to get a hold of. I love it, man. Thanks again for all your time. I appreciate it. And we'll, we'll catch up real soon, hopefully in person. Thanks for having me, Joseph. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram and LinkedIn. Fort Tales is produced by the team at Vigor, a Pavone Group company. Audio and post-production provided by Zencaster and the Pavone Group team. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts.